Wow, isn't that good? Okay, this is yes, that's good. That was really, really good. Uh, I don't get to hear this every week, and so man, I, I'm really blessed. But I thank you, choir, for that. Thank you, Betsy and choir. That was awesome, awesome. Well, I'm just uh, delighted to be with you. I love Kashai Baptist Church uh, for a variety of reasons. I'm just glad that Bobby remembered my name this morning. Evidently, he's having some mental problems. I, I really don't know. Uh, maybe we need to lay hands on you and pray for you, brother. I, I don't know. We could. <laughs> but I, I love this church. You guys have set the example, of, uh, especially over this last year, about what it means to be the body of Christ. In a community. And uh, I, I just, uh, I am so thrilled that you're a part of our association and that uh, I get to come every now and then and uh, be with you guys. I even get to fish with your pastor. Fished with him last sat- Saturday. He and uh, Chuck Campbell and I went and we saw a snake. It was this big, wasn't it? I, I, it was close, man. It was on that limb. I, I tell you, it was at least that big around. We didn't even see the head. And, uh, and we did catch some fish, actually, and we actually got one big enough to keep, e- even, you know. I won't tell you who caught it, but anyway, we're, we're delighted to be here. Thank you, Bobby, for inviting me uh, to be back with you. Yes, I do have one more sermon from that revival that I preached. I was able to be with you guys last fall. I don't know how special it is, but it's the one that uh, the Lord's laid on my heart. And uh, I want you to see uh, here. Th- I'm going to be talking today about a word uh, that's uh, a theological word that is one of the most exciting words, I believe, that we have in our vocabulary, particularly when it comes to the idea of being uh, right before God, standing before Him. You see, what Jesus did on the cross for you and I, and this ought to get you blood flowing here this morning, but what Christ did on the cross for you and I Uh, When we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, when we invite Him into our hearts, you know what that's done for us? That's made us right before Him, justified before Him. That's the word, justification. Now, I'm so excited about this theology in my life. I'm so excited about this word in my life that the title of my sermon this morning, I'm going to use a phrase that came... From an old sitcom, long time ago, before your pastor was ever born, uh, but and I was a little bitty boy, okay. But there was this uh, sitcom on television. I remember watching as a little boy, and there was a phrase that the star of the show said. And that phrase, when he was excited about something, when something went his way, he would say, "Oh, how sweet it is!" You all remember that? The honeymooners. I know some of you here are old enough to remember that. I know. Doc Tarkin remembers that. I understand that. And uh, Jackie Gleason, when, when something went his way, he'd say, oh, how sweet it is. Boy, that describes for me, in a lot of ways, what this word means to me as a believer in Jesus Christ. And what it can mean to others who don't know Him. And for those of us who do know Him... We ought to be living our lives as if we know we've been justified. So, during this sermon, every time you hear the word justify or justification, I expect you to say, Oh, how sweet it is. She knows. She's heard this sermon a time or two. So, she knows. Okay? This is my lovely bride, by the way, for those of you who don't know. when I, If I call her honey or darling or something, it's my wife that I'm doing. Okay? I just want you to know that. All right. 
So I looked up the word justification. And it means in the, in the uh, noun form of it, the pronouncement of righteousness. In the verb form of this word, it means to show that I have been made right. That I have been justified. Huh, somebody listened. All right. All right, good. It means that you and I, the act of what Jesus did for us on the cross, when He took our sins to the cross and He paid the high price for those sins there, He made us right. And folks, I'm telling you today, there's no better place for us to be before God than to be made right. Because God's wrath will be upon us, particularly those who are without Him. There is always a price to pay for sin. Always. But for the believer, there is an opportunity for us to be forgiven if we fall victim to sin in our lives. There's a, a Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Have your Bibles with you today. I trust that you do. Turn to the uh, book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 5. Romans has been called the encyclopedia of the believer. It cannot be read enough, studied enough. And uh, folks, you need to make sure that you know the book of Romans because Paul went out of his way to write to a church that he had never been to in Rome. That eventually he was headed toward, of course, and uh, he was trying to set the stage for not only who he was, his credentials, but he was trying to explain in great detail what faith in Christ really looks like. He took the first four chapters or so, talked about this faith, this triad that we find in the, in the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. And then in chapters 5 through 8, he's talking a lot about this hope that we have based on the faith in Christ that we have. He, he went all in chapter 4, he went and, and uh, ascribed this same kind of faith to Abraham. He was speaking to folks who were Jews, some Gentiles of course, but he, he was taking this idea of faith uh, way, way back and ascribing it to Abraham. And that, that caught their minds and their hearts and they could identify. In fact, in chapter 4, in verse 23, he says, Now it was credited to him. He's talking about Abraham, okay? Uh, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up. Listen to this. He was delivered up for our trespasses, trespasses and raised for our, listen to this, justification. Now, you all catch it on. You'll get it here before the day's over. All right. He has. did He did all of that so that you and I could be justified before him. Go ahead. I know you want to say it. Say it loud now. All right. Good. All right. So, in Christ, we can be justified. Here's, let's begin in chapter 5, verse 1. I love the word there, the transition word. It says, therefore... So what he's just said, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say based on that. This is what he says in verse 1. Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But listen to this in verse 8. But God proves, God proves His own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word and your promise. And Lord, may we, when we leave this place today, may we live a little more bold, boldly because we know in Christ we have been made right. Now, Lord, be with us in the next few moments as we look at these verses. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, the sad thing about it is, however, is that there are many in the church even today who are believers but don't recognize the fact that they are or at least don't recognize the fact that they've been made right. In other words, they allow the difficulties in their lives, the circumstances in our culture to overwhelm them to the point that they are living a defeated kind of life when they don't have to do the, do so. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I, I, I compare them to this family that I call that is known as the Wendell family. Let me tell you a little bit about the Wendells. Many, many, many years ago, uh, there was this family named Wendell. They were a wealthy family. And uh, there were a mom and dad and one son, who was the oldest, and six, he had six sisters. Now, I grew up with three sisters, and it was difficult. Can you imagine six of them, okay? But anyway, as they were growing, they were young adults, their parents died, and they left them a, a very sizable uh, inheritance. And uh, they determined that they were going to keep that inheritance to themselves. And so... John Wendell went so far as to not marry, and he convinced five of his six sisters not to marry either. They lived in a a sort of reclusive life in a home in New York City. They never had electricity. They never had an automobile. And they never had a telephone. And in 1931, when the last sister died, their estate was worth $100 million. In fact, in today's dollars, I think that's about a billion and a half dollars. And the last sister who died at her funeral, she had one dress. She had made it herself. She wore it for 25 years. And she was buried in. You know what they did? They had the wealth of the world at their fingertips, but they never used it. And they imposed upon themselves a, a sort of self-imposed poverty. They had the wealth, but they never were able to enjoy, or they never enjoyed what that wealth could provide for them. I believe there are some Christians like that today. There are some Christians who have received God's grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. That is, favor from God 
to someone who does not deserve it. And you know who those someones are? Us. All of us. None of us deserve the grace, the love, the forgiveness of sin, the price that He paid on the cross. But yet He gave it to us simply because He loved us. And to receive that, we all, all we have to do is simply invite Him into our lives. And yet, there are believers, there are Christians who are continue to live their lives as if it depended upon their merit. In my first church that I planted in Maryland, I, I had a, a, a man in our church. Uh, uh, he claimed to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And every time I saw him, he would pull out of his pocket a roll of, he had a $100 bill, big old roll like that, you know. And he would pull off and say, here, preacher, give this in, put this in the offering plate. Maybe it'll be, set it good for me with a man upstairs. You know, and, and I, I, I've been thinking to myself, Cecil, Cecil, no, no, no. Here, take your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants you. And he died for you. He said, but I got to work. No, you can't. You can't work hard enough. You can't be good enough in order to merit that grace that he gave us through Jesus Christ. But, oh, that's that holy but in the Bible. But, if you'll receive him as the gift that he gives to you and invite him into your heart and life, you get that grace that we all cannot earn. We have favor before the Father in heaven. And I believe that Paul is telling us in this passage to take stock in our spiritual account, if you will, and go use and maximize what we have for our own enjoyment, but also for the enjoyment we get in serving the Lord, reaching others with this greatest news they'll ever hear. Uh, Mercy Me sings a song on their new CD, Lifer. And this song says something to this, and I know I won't get the words completely right. But he says, no, it's not good news. It's the best news ever. Jesus loves you. This we all know. For the Bible tells us so. Yeah, you're pretty impressed, aren't you there, Jesse? I know that song. But the Bible tells us so. And when we receive him, we have justification. Man, you guys, come on now. Let's get with it now. You got it really good. Now, there's three things real quickly, and I'll be brief. Three things that I think this passage teaches us about that justification that is ours. In in the first two verses, we see these three things. First of all, we have peace with God. Not just simply the peace of God, but rather peace with God. Let Let me tell you the difference. The peace of God is some subjective, harmonious feeling we have because we are in favor, or God's in favor of us because He loved us. Paul was saying it's more than that. He says we have peace with God. This is an objective sense or or place a person can be, knowing that the enmity between us and God have been removed by Jesus Christ. Oh, how sweet it is! 
that we've been, listen, what Jesus did removed. I don't have to worry whether or not I'm accepted. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to have eternal life with Him. I know that I'm going to have eternal life because of Jesus Christ and the grace that He extended to me through Him. I have it. That's what it means to have peace with God. In other words, peace says at, uh, uh, at peace, uh, at rest. In other words, what the word means, at rest, no matter what happens. You ever seen anybody in the midst of a a whole bunch of trouble in their lives and they still have a smile on their face? You ever notice that? The, the, The world seems in our eyes or the eyes of the world that their world is falling down around. And yet they have peace within them. They understand that they have peace with God. Folks, that's where we want to be. Not the peace of God, but the peace with God. This is a huge thing. This is important. Jonathan Edwards, one of our great fathers of the faith, many, many hundreds of years ago wrote about this idea of peace with God and this unmerited favor that we have, this grace. He was pretty strong in what he said, but listen to what he said. He said, you have offended God infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you were suffered to awake again in this world after he closed your eyes, and there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning. But, again, there you have it, the holy but, but... That God, listen, that God's hand has held you up. That's what it means whenever we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is another theological thing within the Bible. That He has us in His hands. That's that's called the security of the believer. And the devil or no one else can pull us from His hands. Oh, how sweet it is to know that nothing, but nothing in this world can separate us. From the love of Jesus Christ. Wow. So. When we are. When we get this thing. Of justification. We can go. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. Just bring on whatever you got in me. Because in Christ. I've overcome. You. That's what the Bible tells me in 1 John. That I've overcome the world. There's a second thing I want you to see here. That I think is critical for us to understand. In verse, the latter part of verse 1, he says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he says, we have also, have, have, now that's important. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, the second thing I want you to know, that the, the one who is uh, justified, mm, Come on, guys. Pick this up. This is really good. The one who is justified. All right. That's much better. That's much better. Uh, The one who is just, you don't have to say it, is justified, (laughs) has absolute sure standing. The, the, The verbs in this verse are the present tense kind of verbs. In other words, it, it tells us that the, the process in order in, in which you and I can stand before Him, could even stand in His presence, has been accomplished. It's a done deal. 
In other words, I have obtained access. The idea there uh, is uh, in, in biblical times and even today, if you want to get access to a, a very important person. For example, if I wanted to go to the White House and just walk in and say hi to the president, say, what's up, Prez? How you doing? I couldn't just do that. I'm, I'm not important. I'm not that kind of person. I'd have to have somebody who would have to escort me in there, introduce me before I could even have a conversation with the president. Well, the same thing with the king. You couldn't go up to the king and say anything like that. But, but what Jesus did for us gave us access automatically, instantaneously to the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us when we invite Him into our hearts and lives. Isn't that a cool deal? You, you, you're with me now, right? You understand what I'm saying? That in Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can say, hey, Father, Abba, Father. We can say, hey, Lord, I need your help. Oh, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you deal with this situation in my life? You don't have to go through me, your pastor, or priest, or anybody. You have direct access. Isn't that cool? And but because of that, then we can stand straight and secure in Him. You know, it's like uh, I, I was in East Texas when Hurricane Rita hit East Texas. And we lost, uh, the, the estimates were all over the place, but uh, they, they determined that there was probably a million two hundred fifty thousand trees that were blown over. And one of the things I noticed about all those trees that blew over one was that those who had little, I mean, uh, shallow roots, they would uproot, the whole tree would be uprooted and fall over. But what I noticed about those yellow pine trees, we have them around here. You know what I'm talking about. It seemed that those trees, most of them, were they, they were still standing about 20, 30 feet off. They would snap off and fall over. And I asked somebody, why is that? And he said, well, they're tap roots are so deep. They go 20, 30, sometimes even 40 feet deep. And so that root gives them uh, strength in order for them to stand in the worst of storms. You get the parallel? I hope you did. That was you were supposed to. Okay? Uh, You get the parallel that in Christ, in His grace, because we have access to Him, whatever storm comes our way, you and I can still stand. And when everybody else falls, we're still standing. Isn't that great to know? Because we've been justified in Christ. Thank you. Paul understood this when he wrote at the end of chapter 8. He opens and closes this section of chapters in 5 through 8 the same way. And in the last part of chapter 8, and I want to read this to you just to illustrate your triumph and my triumph over sin. And this justification, listen to what he says. Chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. For us all, How will he not also uh, with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And all God's people ought to say, oh, how sweet that is. Okay, he intercedes. Jesus is interceding for you and I. Wow, that's what justification can guarantee you and I 
who will accept him. Go, verse goes on, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in verse 37. In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or death, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, how sweet it is. Isn't that amazing? That's what justification can provide for you. One last thing and then we'll be done. I think just justification provides an opportunity for you and I to be persistently optimistic. I'm a cup is half full kind of guy. I always try to be that way. I'm not always bubbly and, you know, all that kind of stuff all the time. There are certain times when I'm not. But I, I think I am more than I am not. And, and, uh, and I believe that this truth in our lives, if it's lived out, and we've surrendered our lives to Him, and we listen to Him, and we obey Him, and we uh, abide in His Word and walk in His light on a regular basis. Listen, folks, our God gives you a, a reason to be optimistic. A reason to be optimistic. Look what He says there. You know, in the latter part of verse 2, he says, uh, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know what that is? He's talking about rejoicing in our eternal life, in heaven. In other words, we can exalt about what we're going to get one day. You know, there's a lot of people in this world say, well, you know, heavens, that's, that's nice, preacher. But I live in the here and now. I got problems here. Listen, it's in the problems here that makes that even sweeter when we think about it. Right? Paul understood this. Do you think Paul didn't have trouble in his life? Oh, my goodness. And where he went, they tried to kill him. Especially after he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote this in verses 3. This is how he knows. He said, in fact, trouble, as I said, only makes that sweeter. And this is why I ba- what I base it on, verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice. <laughs> he says we rejoice in our afflictions. How many here love affliction? Raise your hand. Where are your hands? Don't you love to be afflicted? No, we don't. But the Bible says, Paul says, that even in those, you and I, who have been justified, can in afflictions rejoice. Wow. Those without Christ have no such hope. He goes on to say, that this affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, he, he, you know, this redemption that we have in us is, is sort of like a, a surpassing glory. When God looks upon us, He doesn't look upon us based on what we've done. He looks upon us based on what His Son has done. And we look good to Him because of Christ. In other words, when when our time comes and we stand at the judgment seat of God, He's going to look at us and say, you know, this is I'm I'm sermonizing here a little bit. But the question will be, why should I let you in my perfect heaven? And Jesus will say, 
excuse me, Dad, because of me. That's what justification means. That's what it means. He, he, he tells us that uh, he tells us in those few verses there that this this uh, difficulty you might be living in can will if you'll let it if you'll let him uh, go with you through it he will produce endurance in you and he'll give you something that you can sustain you until that day comes. A lady uh, in, in Maryland, her husband was uh, disabled, lost both his legs in an accident, and she had to care for him every day. Her name was Vera Jones. She was from England. She met her husband in England during World War II. And I would go over there every, uh, on a regular basis. Greta and I go over there and visit with her, hoping to try to minister her. And every time I left, she ministered to me. She would come, and, and oh, the pastor's coming. And so she would make hot tea for me. I didn't drink hot tea. And then she would put milk in it. And I certainly don't have milk in hot tea. But she would make it. She loved animals. She had three, uh, three dogs. A big one, a medium-sized one, and a little one. And she had birds in her house, little canary birds. They were, the cages were open. They would just fly around wherever, and they'd land on her shoulder and all that kind of stuff. And she would just, she would just, oh, thank you for coming. And we'd pray together and talk together. And I'd put my tea over there. I was trying to be nice to her. put my tea over there. And her big dog would slink up behind me, and he would lick it out of my cup. And, and she'd say, oh, no. I said, oh, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Let him have it. I don't care. Anyway, no, I didn't say that. But anyway, uh, and she said, she asked me a question one time. She said, Pastor, do you think Jesus gets tired of hearing me? Because I pray to him every two to three minutes just to get through my day. Man, I started bawling. I said, Miss Vera, I think Jesus loves the fact that you're constantly communicating with him. And, and he loves it. And she was our example. He goes on, uh, you know, in, in verses 6 through 8, and he just tells us that while we were still helpless, Christ died at the point in time, Christ died for us. And then, uh, you know, verse 8, he tells us that but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love what Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, said this about this, uh, these passages. He says, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son as a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever. To him. You know what this all tells me? And this is why I am persistently optimistic. Is this tells me that because of Christ, because of justification, I have been declared not guilty. Not guilty before God. Now I want to illustrate that point this morning by having Greta come and sing a song titled Not Guilty to illustrate. Listen to the words. Watch the words on the screen. Listen to the words. They just sort of sum up what I've been trying to say to us all this morning. Oh, how sweet it is. We've been declared not guilty. Give it, amen. I think that's awesome. So this passage tells me that we as Christians, on a regular basis, every day, ought to walk around with a giddy smile on our face. Because we know. We have been made right. I think what Paul is saying to us in, in chapter 5 of Romans is to go there and look at uh, the spiritual account that we have and start living like you know you've been delivered. Know that you've been made right. Folks, we live in a time where our world is desperately looking for something 
to hang their hat on. Listen, let them hang their hat on the justification that Jesus provides. And you and I tell them about what it means to be one who has been made right. This morning, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and in your life, I wanna, I'm gonna have your pastor come here in just a moment and, and in our invitation and he can tell you what it means to, uh, be a new believer in Jesus Christ. If you've just been checking this thing out, check no more. Come, let him help you and understand. If you're a believer here today and there's sin in your life, folks, you need to get it out. You need to confess it and make it right and come recommit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do that today. Maybe you're looking for a great church home. This is the place. I would invite you to come. Grab your pastor by the hand. Maybe there's some of you here who haven't in a long, long time come and knelt at this altar and did a little business with the Lord that you know you need to do. I would challenge you. I would dare you to come today. Wouldn't it be cool this place filled with God's people saying, as for me and my house, we know we've been made right and we're going to do everything we can to tell this community and this world who Jesus Christ really is. Would you stand with me, please? And bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm like, Bobby, if you'd come, uh, buddy, and just come stand right here. Uh, every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to sing an invitation song. And so I would ask you to just now, in this moment, the most important thing we've done here all day long is this right here. A time when you can respond to Jesus Christ. You might feel a little uh, inhibited about stepping out. Listen, Jesus called publicly. I believe we ought to come publicly. And so I'm inviting you to come, not to embarrass, but rather to celebrate with you what God's doing in your heart and life. So, would you come? Father, I pray for courage in this room. Would you move among us as you see fit? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What are we going to sing, John? Change my heart, O God. Change my heart, oh God. As we sing, if God's spoken to your heart anyway, would you step out and come? You can see this for a second. Well, again, we want to thank Brother Terry for coming and sharing God's word with us. We appreciate uh, that we are not guilty because of what the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your song. Also, uh, if you're here and you're a part of our congregation, uh, we've got a group in the back from uh, just outside of Charlotte uh, that's been working here with the Baptist men, serving our community. So make sure you tell them thank you on the way out the door also. Uh, we don't want to embarrass them, but we do want to tell them thank you. We're grateful for all the folks who are coming, serving our community through the Baptist men. And uh, having said that, don't forget about the announcements that are in your bulletin. Hopefully you'll read that. And hopefully next Saturday you'll make our prayer summit uh, a big priority. So love you guys. Thank you for coming. I want to close us in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your many blessings as always. We thank you that when we stand before you, we can indeed be justified because of your son's finished work on the cross. Lord, we thank you that we've been forgiven. And Lord, we thank you that we are not guilty. And Father, we look forward to spending an eternity with you when you wipe away every tear from our eyes and you do away with all sin and shame. And Lord, we look forward uh, to that day. And it's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.